0: Lead Time is a podcast of the Unite Leadership Collective, hosted by Tim Allman and Jack Caliberg. Lead Time taps into biblical wisdom for practical solutions to today's burning issues. Each podcast confronts real-time struggles facing the local church in a post-Christian culture. Step into the action with the ULC at UniteLeadership.org. This is Lead Time. Hey pastor, church leader, are you ever frustrated because you've got leaders in your world and if they're going to be discipled, you feel like you have to send them somewhere else, maybe to one of our Concordias if you're in a Lutheran tradition or even to the seminary. The Kairos University platform in partnership with the Luther House of Studies is for you. You guys all know that I'm a pastor at Christ Greenfield, and we have a small seminary program going on right now. Now, you may be saying, well, they should be sent to the institutions. I'm telling you, all of these leaders simply want to serve, most of them bivocationally, in our local context. And so the Luther House of Studies, in partnership with the Kairos University platform, is a wonderful, wonderful option for us at Christ Greenfield. And it is one of the key partners in the Unite Leadership collective. Simply go to uniteleadership.org to find out more. And we cannot wait to certify shepherds, evangelists, executive directors, counselors, commissioning them for ministry to seek and save the lost in your local community. Uniteleadership.org. Welcome to Lead Time. Tim Allman here with Jack Kalberg. Uh, Today we have the beautiful honor to get to know one of my new friends, Todd Peppercorn, 20 plus years as a parish pastor and is now serving at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, which is the alma mater, you may not know Todd, of my dad, uh, Reverend Dave Allman, who's retiring this year. He loved his time in the early early 80s. Um, and there's some context we can get mm-hmm. into as to why he went to Concordia uh, Theological Seminary instead of uh, St. Louis at that point. But it's going to be a lot of fun, Todd, to hang out today. We are going to go deep in a lot of topics regarding leadership development, uh, the future of the church, and the role of institutions in raising up the next generation of leaders within our church. So give us a little bit of your, your story there, Todd. Great.
1: Absolutely. Thanks, Tim. This is a this is wonderful, and I love having the love having the conversation. Um, as you said, my name is Todd Peppercorn. I I serve as an assistant professor in the Pastoral Ministry and Mission Department here, which um, which is kind of the long way of saying the practical department. Uh, I teach counseling and and preaching primarily, and and then do field ed. And I'm the director of vicarage here, so that's kind of my uh, my day job, so to speak, that I've been. Slowly learning the ropes on for the last year. Prior to that, I was a pastor for ten years in uh, in Northern California, Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Rockland, and then before that, I was a pastor at Messiah Lutheran Church in Kenosha, Wisconsin, which is kind of southeast Wisconsin. And um, yeah, so I've been involved as a as a pastor and kind of leadership in two or three different districts and. Served on the board of regents at our uh, sister seminary in St. Louis for about six years, so that was kind of an exciting mm. ride. And uh, yeah, here we are. So I'm I'm uh, kind of learning learning new things every day. It's a lot so, of fun. Yeah,
0: it's that's very unique. Um, and I've had a lot of friends that have done both the the parish ministry role and then transitioned into one of our maybe universities or one of our two seminaries. What's been the hardest switch going from you know, church life into kind of administrative role within, within our seminary?
1: Um, hmm, that's a hardest, honestly, is Mm -hmm. Sunday morning. I love, I love being a parish pastor. I love preaching. I love being there. Not, and not only in, in kind of in church, but also teaching Bible class and kind of, um, I'll say connect with, connect with people on earth. <laughs> and that's, and in, in the realities that we live in and kind of all of the messiness and, and contradiction and everything that, that we live in. And that's been strange to kind of sitting in the pew is really weird for me on Sunday mornings. Uh, and I expect it will be for a while, but it's, it's also been good because I've found that, um, you know, I'm still a pastor. I still do what I do that, you know, who I am has been shaped over many decades and that, that doesn't just kind of turn off. No. And being a pastor to the students here and to the staff and kind of seeing myself in that role, I think is kind of why God led me to this place to begin with. This is why I'm here. Yeah. And it's been, uh, it's good. But
0: it is different, no doubt about that. Yeah, no, thank you for. I miss my people. Thank you for That's your leadership. Really the bottom you know, line. Mary and burying and baptizing and those kind of being there in people's um, lowest and highest moments. And we just kind of, Todd, as pastors, yep. that we just kind of get inserted. Obviously, you know your people, you love your people, but some of them you know better than others. And and yet, the the holiness <clears throat> of entering into those high and low moments in bringing the gospel it's something that i have and never want to again take for granted you know what i'm saying right yeah and, and you would
1: you would think in some ways that it's those the crisis moments the you know the the family in crisis the the situation that is the absolute worst those are actually the best times being a pastor because that there it's kind of like everything all sort of coalesces into, all right, so now I can, I can serve Christ both as uh, the hearer as the one kind of li- listening and receiving all of this pain and hardship and trials, but then, but then also speak, speak Christ to these people and give a word of hope, when they're certainly not getting it anywhere else, yeah. and that's kind of—I uh, think that—that's one of the big things that—that that is such an interesting challenge today. Is how do you how do you actually bring hope to people in a world of just relentless negativity? Mm-hmm. It just is, it's just is—it's overpowering sometimes. And, it's wow. interesting
2: you say that, Todd, because that's. I, I agree with you. That's the time I think where people are most—they're looking for answers in these times of crisis. And just like you said, yeah. society doesn't have it, you know, or the ones—the mm. answers that they have are very shallow. They don't really bring comfort. And so it's interesting right. that you bring out that that is like that's that's the best time of ministry, I think, because that's right? a time where it is people's ears are most open to hearing the gospel. Yeah. <clears throat> and
1: Lutherans, in my in my view at least, Lutherans are most comfortable we are most ourselves in the middle of paradox mm-hmm. and mess upedness <laughs> that's <laughs> when when um, our our theology of the cross that's when our that's when our kind of identity as as christians really shines the most mm-hmm. and and so kind of recognizing that and it doesn't mean that it's not the case at other times and at other places. But, um, but I, I know that for uh, just in kind of talking with guys around here, it's, it, it's one of the big things that, that I kind of, kind of try to highlight is, uh, those aren't the times that you want to get away from so that you can go, you know, hide in your study and, and read and, you know, I am a reader. Well, that's what I do. But, but rather those are the times when you need to, you need to be the fireman running toward the fire, not the other way.
2: Yeah. Todd, for anybody who's watching that might not be as familiar with the paradoxes we talk about, what are some examples of these paradoxes that we lean into? Well, sure. Well, um,
1: I love, I love the language of, of hidden Mm -hmm. and revealed that God, uh, that God hides Himself in order to reveal Himself, mm. and that, and it's that that hidden and and revealing that is such a such a beautiful thing that that God hides Himself in the most unlikely of places, um, in suffering, in 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 hardship. He uses poor you know poor miserable sinners, like we mm. say in the liturgy. He uses us um, to to do His work. And it's precisely when we think that all is lost and when everything is is a disaster that God's that God's kind of like, oh, okay, well, now that you've now that you recognize that you can't actually do this, maybe I can get involved. Yeah, that's
0: so good. And that's a beautiful I think that's a beautiful picture of of the Christian life. And it's what people need right now. I think, Todd, our theology is primed for the chaos our world is walking through right now. Um, if we have looked exactly. if we have looked to the world, to the government, to our economic whatever to like provide us hope. Um, things are going up and to the right. Nah, like the Bible is very clear. It's it's down to the left. It gets worse before it gets better, you know? And and this is <laughs> this is a great moment to be a, a Lutheran Christian united bringing yeah. the greatest story of all time. So uh, one of our biggest frustrations is that we have this spectrum, and I don't I don't really like talking this way within the LCMS, and I'm frankly confused about it, but we love to kind of nitpick at one another within our church body around using different words on confessional or missional spectrum. We're all confessional. We're all missional. And it seems like we're in this kind of echo chamber moment within our church body That's that's I think Satan is using it as a as a ploy to keep us from uniting John 17 to go on mission to bring our awesome gospel to a variety of different contexts. Is it just us who kind of look at our synod and say, we may be trending and we need to repent of this. We may be trending right along with the political polarization of this day and age, and it's, it's not helping uh, advance the gospel, the cause of Christ. Thoughts on that, Todd? Oh, so many thoughts um I uh I did
1: my uh, I did my doctorate in preaching at a Roman Catholic cool. school yeah Aquinas Institute of <laughs> theology in St. Louis nice. uh, and I intentionally did it because I didn't want to have another degree from a school named Concordia <laughs> <laughs> I had three that's enough um let's go for a different word and um and I learned a ton in that five years and I have some, Dear, dear friends, that are Roman Catholic brothers and sisters, a part of what I learned in that process is: one, we aren't uh, the challenges that we face aren't nearly as dramatic and different as we might think. Um, you know the the spe- the spectrum of of change in the Missouri Synod. You know, we act as if using, you know setting 1 versus setting 3 versus setting 4 is somehow this enormous gap. You know, never mind contemporary worship right, and everything right. else, when all of it kind of put together is still one tiny little sliver in in Christianity. And um you know, I think of uh, uh think of St. Paul's words in Ephesians 4 of eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond mm. of peace what does that that eagerness actually means that we need to be oriented toward each yes. other and that unity so that we can then serve the serve the world and if i don't if i don't treasure that that unity if i'm not eager toward it then what am i doing yeah. <laughs> and and i don't mean that to minimize any any theological you know real theological differences mm-hmm. and stuff but at the same time I've got to learn how to look at my brothers and sisters in Christ as our as brothers and sisters in Christ and not as the competition mm-hmm. or the enemy and I mean and a part of that too is our our American culture I believe is makes it so that we are kind of built mm. to to be competitive mm. we are built to see each other and by each other i mean congregations to see the church down the road as this is the competition this is the, you know uh, are the are the new transfers that are going to come team. from some other lcms church right this is the competing team where we're we're competing <clears throat> for a teeny tiny little sliver of resources and utterly ignoring the very neighborhoods that our congregations are in, mm-hmm. and not actually seeing seeing us as being uh partners in the gospel yeah. um that's and man that is a, a tragedy of the highest level
2: but what part of that american ethos is driving that it, um i i, oh, I, I, I agree bit- but i'm having a hard time articulating where that comes from um I,
1: I here's how here's the best description that I've that I've had of it and and you guys can tell me if this makes sense are you familiar with with Terry Mattingly does that name ring a bell mm-hmm. Terry Mattingly is a as um, uh, a layman he's actually Eastern Orthodox um, and he writes for a website called getreligion.org okay um, he's been a kind of a, a, a media observer and um, media reporter for Thirty years, something like that. Tim um, Mattingly talks about how in 1900, if you were going to um, get in a time machine, get in your Tardis, and and uh, and go to 1900 New York City, you would find that there are a hundred daily newspapers in the in New York City, mm. and and basically every neighborhood has their own newspaper. They've got newspapers for left-handed <clears throat> Ashkenazi German Jews and right-handed Sephardic (laughs) German Jews. And every, you know, so every little minutia kind of goes down there. And you knew that when you picked up the left-handed Ashkenazi German Jew newspaper that that's what you were getting. But you could also open your front door and you could actually talk to your neighbor as well. (laughs) As the media in our kind of expanded into mass media so the ability to publish and the ability to um, uh, to do these things on a larger scale became more and more common uh, the ability to kind of say this is my unique perspective actually disappeared toward, um, toward objectivity I'll call it the Walter Tronkite effect so that now you have one perspective or you know, when I was growing up, you had three stations on the TV (laughs) and then there was the newcomer Fox, but you had ABC, NBC and CBS. And that was the truth. It was either Walter Cronkite or Dan Rather. And and they're curating Um, the truth for you. Right. And they're curating the truth. But there is a sense, a, a kind of a unification, a sense. And whether this is a, You know, in some ways, it really is a dream, a fantasy. Mm -hmm. But there is a sense that this is reality. Um, And then comes the Internet. And the Internet blows the entire thing to smithereens. So now you don't have 100 daily newspapers. You have each individual has their own newspaper (laughs) (laughs) called their Facebook stream. And it is unique to them, (laughs) where now the things that they're getting fed aren't just – Um, For the left-handed Ashkenazi German Jew, but it is, what are the things that I can give to this person so that they're going to buy more things? Yeah. (laughs) What are the things that I I can give to this person so that they will keep
2: looking? Mm. Well, and I think it it goes even further than that because in in the online world, these algorithms, the AI that designs these algorithms, know – it learns you specifically what gets you triggered. So either triggered in a positive way, but more often triggered in a negative way. Exactly.
1: So that now when I see something that doesn't fit my little, my personal algorithm, essentially um, now the way that I treat them is, is I dehumanize them. Hmm. I put them in a category I, you know, I can give them a label, essentially drop kind of little hand grenades at each other. And then uh, so that I don't have to actually talk to this person or deal with this person. I can now write them off with ever
2: without ever interacting with them at all. Yeah. So and that's kind this, of American society. So this is fascinating because I've reflected on multiple instances where somebody will post a comment or say something online that I know they would never in a thousand years say to my face. Exactly. Exactly. And this is somebody I know. And at some point I'm going to have to see this person again face to face. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And you kind of want to, you kind of want to call the person and say,
1: can we actually talk about this? Um, But, but the very way that we are learning to communicate uh, day to day is um, is shaping how we think about one another, and and so yeah, so that now um, I, I you know the eighth commandment doesn't apply as long as I'm on my computer
2: mm-hmm.
1: or whatever it might be, and and I am kind of fascinated and terrified by this, and and really have to uh, continue to ask the question. <clears throat> so how do we be church? in this. And of course, COVID just took all of this and ramped it up to 11. Right. So that, so that we were forced uh, to use this almost exclusively as means of communication. Mm. And uh, I don't think that we really learned anything. Well, I think we've learned a lot. I'm not certain yet if we're going to actually put anything in practice that's going to be helpful. That's so good. I think that remains. Yeah, no,
0: it's a it's a crossroads right now, Todd, I feel for the American church and and even for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And will we model as leaders within the church, civil, kind, caring, hospitable? Conversation around our differences that are mostly sociological. I would make the argument, and there's some deep theology, but it, at least holding our thoughts around sure. ministry in our context with an open with an open hand. Uh, it's not surprising to you, Todd. I mean, we've been we've been pushing here within our, I mean, we live in a rapidly growing community here in uh, the East Valley of Phoenix and uh, local lay leadership development all the way up to vocational and bivocational leaders. And and some of our videos and some things that we've written could be interpreted as antagonistic. That's not our desire at all. We're simply (coughs) desiring to speak the truth in love and then get good feedback. But the struggle for us um, has been, folks who have a difference of opinion, and we're, we're going to go deep into, we're going to maybe have some conversation around things we disagree on, and that's great. Um, but folks don't reach out and have a have a civil conversation privately with us if they've got an issue. Right. I know, we know that folks are talking about, and I've seen it in, in print, uh, local leadership development, but like no one's reached out and actually heard <laughs> our story and actually gotten to know, because I I and Jack, we're very conservative Lutherans that are also very realistic and and we're pragmatists in just saying there is a major leadership development uh, gap right now. Yeah, go ahead,
2: Jack. Right. So entrepreneurial and like you said, very conservative, like we, we don't see us diverging from the confessions in any way or, you know, adopting any trendy, you know, cultural issues. We are innovating in the space of leadership development. That's That's probably the one way that you'd say, yeah, we, this is an area where we're being innovative. Um, So does that cause us to be labeled as liberals? Right. Um, That that's the part I think that's been puzzling to me in hearing some of these comments. And, and of course
1: terms like, I mean, and I've, I've argued for a very, very long time that terms like, uh, like liberal and conservative are, are, um, are very convenient Mm -hmm. <clears throat> uh ways of essentially shutting down conversation. Right. Yes. If I can if I can kind of if I can say that you're a liberal or a church growther or that that you're a liturgical Nazi or you you know you pick whatever the moniker is, all that does is that kind of that works to say okay, I've got this person categorized. I know what they're going to say, I know what they're going to do. I don't have to actually talk to them anymore. Yeah. And
2: I'm sorry. I don't buy it. I just don't buy it. <laughs> there's but a great... Not, that's, mm. Yeah, there's a, a great presentation at our local pastor's conference. What was the, the, uh, the presenter's name, Tim? So we credit him properly, but he talked about the pendulum.
0: Yeah, um, I'll pull it in a sec, but t- talk about the pendulum. I'd love to get we'll, Todd's... We'll remember it. Yeah, Todd's uh, yep. comments yeah, on so the pendulum. This, this, yeah, this
2: pendulum... This, he gave this image this image of this pendulum and just saying, hey, you know, you can imagine a congregation or a community being somewhere on this pendulum. And then on one side of the pendulum is orthodoxy, and the other side of the pendulum is innovation. And okay. I think he did a great job saying that orthodoxy and innovation are both really great things for the church, yeah. right? The problem yeah. is, is when you put your identity—like, orthodoxy is just looking from the past and saying, this is what's worked from mm-hmm. the past— So we're just going to repeat it because it's proven to work in the past. That's all orthodoxy ultimately is. Sure. Innovation is let's find a new way to tackle new problems that our orthodoxy doesn't help us with. Right. So ideally, I would say a culturally healthy organization could float very easily in there and say, let's look, let's learn what we've learned from the past. Let's lean into new areas. When you start to get rigid in one of those areas, though, the rigid community that leans into orthodoxy becomes legalistic. The one that hyper-focuses mm-hmm. on innovation can become heretics, honestly, because they mm-hmm. start to value the innovation above the actual timeless uh, story of the gospel. Right? <clears throat> so, there is a warning.
1: That's interesting.
2: Yeah, there is a, there is a, a cautionary sort of flag that exists on both sides. And what I would love, what I would love to see for you know our local church, Christ Beanfield, but also the wider body, of the LCMS, is that we get to fully own this space of orthodoxy and innovation, and there's and this, recognize it. Yeah, exactly. I have a, a. It's interesting.
1: I I like that picture. There's a lot of interesting things with it. I have heard a, a similar picture. Um, the name of the the name of the woman that's used it. Uh, she was a teacher at Luther Seminary and. St. Paul for a year, Grindal, I think mm-hmm. was her name. And, and she's – and, and the, the kind of the, – the two sides that she talked about were um, orthodoxy and pietism. Mm-hmm. And, that, um, and that orthodoxy, when it kind of goes bad,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, becomes brittle and, yeah. and hard and, in, and inflexible. And pietism, when it goes bad, becomes mushy. And malleable like a fruit that is overripe, <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. and
1: and so and you can and you can kind of see both sides to that. and And her point wasn't one good, the other bad. The point is, okay, so how do I see myself in this kind of in this world and this in this pendulum where I'm being faithful to what has been handed down to me, but at the same time recognizing, um. I am not in the 16th century or the second century or the 20th century. Even. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: Um, but, uh, uh, but I am here now. And so what does faithful here and now look like?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I don't know, for me, I've had this conversation about leadership at kind of, we talked about this a lot when I was on the board at Concordia seminary, um, we talked about it all the time when I was a pastor in Northern California, where um, and you know, I'm going to guess that I was in the Sacramento area, and I'm going to guess that kind of the the religious landscape there was probably similar to mm-hmm. Phoenix. So you have a lot of a lot of growth, a lot of kind of big explosion, but a lot of massive demographic mm-hmm. shifts happening so quickly that that congregations. Can, it feels like congregations can turn around and their entire neighborhood has changed <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: and they never even noticed that it happened until yeah. it's already done right um, and so we ended up in our in our winkles and with the pastors that i hung out with there um talking a ton about how do we how do we foster leadership in these congregations so that there is a continuity of leadership in the congregation, regardless of who the pastor is, and that the, that you've got the pastor coming in with kind of theological perspective that will learn about the leadership and the needs at that place, and you have the local leadership coming in with with a I'll say a contextual perspective or something like that that will that will be shaped by the theological formation the pastors have. Mm-hmm. And it's got to be both. And mm-hmm. if you don't – if you only have one, <laughs> you're kind of toast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we have valued – in the Missouri Synod, we have valued the theological orthodoxy to the point where, um, where the rest is irrelevant mm. or seems irrelevant in comparison. Yeah and from my from my perspective that's that that's been a part of the challenge that we're facing from the highest institutions in the Missouri Synod our schools are you know uh, all the way down to how do i run this preschool cool. mm-hmm. <laughs> or whatever it might be it is the same challenge,
2: top that, to bottom. That's fascinating. So, Todd, at, at the ULC, we we talk about um, when we describe s- building spiritual leaders, replicating spiritual mm-hmm. leaders, we take that phrase and we break it into two, spiritual and then leader, right? Mm-hmm. And I think anybody in their mind can think of somebody who's been a good leader, or let's say would, would is good at leading people, but they're not very spiritual, right? right. And right. vice versa. Mm-hmm. We can imagine in our mind, we probably know people, very spiritual, but I wouldn't want them to be leading because they haven't mm-hmm. been prepared for that. So now when we right. think about doing development of people, developing spiritual leaders, now we have kind of two very important tracks that you can develop on spiritual faith theology, right? Right leadership. Yep. Can you run a meeting? <laughs> can you have a right. difficult conversation right. with a subordinate? Can you um, right. put together a budget? Right. <laughs> can I, so yeah. um, can you run can a you project? Can fire right. somebody and have them thank you for <laughs> exactly. it afterwards? Be- right.
1: Because it was the right thing.
2: Yeah. <clears throat> right.
1: Yeah. No, oh, that's a that's a big thing. And I'll, I'll even go another kind of another step and say, this is where the uh, the contextual models and, and the immersive models. Let's kind of, let's kind of take those, mm-hmm. take those two. Um, they need to learn from each other. Yeah. And, and honestly, this is, this is kind of, <laughs> this is my world yes. is I teach second year field education. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I have the, kind of the link between all of the classroom stuff and what actually happens in their congregations in their second year preparing for Vicarage. And then Vicarage, which is the contextual element to kind of traditional pastoral formation in the Missouri Synod. Yes. And we are virtually the only church body that has a year-long contextual internship that mm-hmm. is contextually immersive. That's how I would put it we're it that mm. and that's a part of the weirdness of comparing how we've done things historically in the missouri synod and how uh, fuller or princeton or duke or you know uh, many of these other places do it is is they don't have that both and yeah they've got either or
2: so what's and the product of so that? either i mean well, that's the question when when they don't have that right what do you think well, what, is the product? What I, th- what I think
1: happens is if it's all contextual and there isn't an immersive experience, the, the formation is going to be too localized or has the danger of becoming too localized so mm. that they can't see the broader uh, – kind of the broader sweep and shape of, of the church. So mm. that's, that's kind of a danger on one end. A positive on one end is that it actually happens on earth <laughs> and it actually happens with real people and you're dealing with concrete inductive learning that uh, that actually uh, can can move to understand greater greater principles kind of larger pictures so there's that is an absolutely critical element to it On the other hand if it's all immersive, then you're simply create that. Then that quickly becomes entire, uh, entirely cognitive that it simply becomes the, a matter of information Hmm. and I'm going to get the information and then I'm going to give you the information. And now that I have, you know, downloaded everything into your brain, now everything is fine. Yeah. And we're not computers. (laughs) (laughs) That's not actually how human beings function. But that is the danger of of a purely, I'll say, a purely academic immersive experience. Yeah. No. This is this is great, and and that has been, and that has been kind of the the predominant LCMS model for a long, long time. And
0: and we're yeah, um, it's
1: not the only model. Yeah, it isn't, but it's the predominant.
0: And one. we're kind of um, wondering in this day and age and and we can kind of agree we're in a firmly post-christian postmodern secular whatever day and age uh as to if right. we shouldn't be exploring leveraging the immersive the content the wider breadth model to more bivocational leaders i've i've been blessed to have vicars that have gone sure. through every different pathway right now i'm teaching at the cross cultural ministry uh, program this next week with, right. with Jack out of Concordia, Irvine. And obviously, we've have had SMP uh, pastors. We have one currently. And then obviously, our residential guys that come through every year. Um, and, and we're just kind of wondering, as we have a vision for 20 campuses in 20 years at Christ Greenfield and small Centrally supported, but smaller communities that can be one pastor and maybe an executive director or campus director can really steward the discipleship growth within that respective community. But it's hard for us right now, given the narrow models, to see a way that, hey, we could identify, discover, develop, and then deploy a leader, given our current model, Um SMP is seen as second rate and it's high it's SMP is the closest thing we have toward raising someone up in the immersive and then contextual experience that we have right now I'm frustrated that it's not a degree um, and some of our students we've we've seen it they're frustrated it's not a degree and so we've been exploring with this companies-based theological education fully accredited through uh, Kairos University that it's more of a platform Todd that then you can put your respective theological teachings onto you can bring all of your best content experts onto that onto that platform but we have been, and I think still are kind of reluctant to explore models that are slightly, and you may say, slightly <clears throat> imbalanced toward the contextual, but recognizing that the, where the rubber hits the road is going to be at the contextual local uh, local level. Um, and and it feels like uh, we're we're trying to do two things at one time, but we're imbalanced toward institutional preservation. Uh, and that may be at the ex- expense of congregations like ours that want to go on on mission to raise up our own leaders and keep them here. And at the same time, Todd, sure. I really value, I really value immersion within the wider wider church. Like this is not just for you. We would love that a number of these leaders if it didn't make sense for them to stay with us, that they were recognized as a general pastor within the the wider church so they could be <clears throat> they could be sent. So, yeah, we just find ourselves at a very interesting time and I don't think our four- Four year residential with the one year immersive experience fully scratches the itch of the bivocational need that a lot of our especially small smaller churches need right now. Thoughts on that?
1: I would go a a step further, Tim, and say it can't. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And the reason, and and the reason that it can't, I mean, we can kind of there might be some, I'll say some some formation Mm -hmm. questions that are that are worth exploring, and we should and we should do that, no doubt. But a part of it is a very, very concrete thing, is that you cannot expect a man to pick up and move and then move again and then move again and then move again, um, only to come back and then have to return to his previous field and then do what he had done for four years part time. Maybe. Maybe. That makes abs right maybe. Maybe precisely. <laughs> that makes absolutely no sense. I, right. I I just don't buy that that residential seminary formation is going to lead to bivocational ministry. Yeah. I don't think it's designed to. And that's uh and that is a that does doesn't fit what is gonna what is actually possible for this kind of leadership. So the question in my mind then and i'm I'm purely thinking out loud here. This is Todd thinking out loud. This is no policy anybody from anything. This is just me. That makes me raise the question of, okay, okay, then. so if that is if that's kind of where we're at, what is possible in the in the model that you laid out and and you called it an executive director model, the model that we were that we were tossing around in Sacramento area was a cathedral model where you would, yeah. where you would, but uh, you can kind of see a lot of the same, a lot of the same things where you have, uh, you have uh, an executive director um, that is, uh, that oversees the entire, the entire key. And then you have deacons or whatever you want to, whatever you want to call them in more, in more local places. Um, and maybe that means you're, you're kind of doing a circuit rider thing. Um I don't know. That's what, that's what we were spending a lot of our time talking about. Um, you know, thinking about Tim Keller's book, Center yep. Church, you've mm-hmm. probably, you've probably read that. Um, Todd, I'll give, you you've, you've kind of, I'll give you an example.
2: I'll give you an example from please. a, from a blog post I wrote, um a couple months ago. It was specifically about <clears throat> what the church can learn from the military. I'm a military guy, right? Yep. So, okay. The question is, how does the Army or the Marines or the Navy raise up the majority of their officers? The majority of their officers are raised up in the ROTC programs, probably Mm -hmm. depending on the branch, 70 to 85 percent of their officers are raised up locally. The local university, while they're serving, so they're already serving as an enlisted person, so they're in the local context serving. They've got some experience they they are they they get paid to go to a local university that's got a accredited you know uh, vetted local learning program and so they get to be raised up as military officers in their local context and that was actually the vision mm-hmm. of starting the ROTC program at the same time as an army guy we have West Point West Point right. is this fantastic you could call it exclusive <laughs> it is exclusive that's how they run it sure but it, it is the gold standard. And it is a residential program and you're committed to four or five years of of uh, being embedded in this uh, in this national program where they kind of say this is where we're putting all the best practices into. And it's a right. great, prestigious program. And it's different, though, right, because it's a different type of commitment. They're going after a different type of demographic if, you know the people they recruit for. West point generally are people they're going right. They they either know they're going in there when they enlist or they're grabbing them right out of boot camp because they say, Oh yeah, this person's got incredible potential. Let's get them into West point. Right. Um, Right. Right. But people who are transitioning, you know, if I was, if I was a, you know, um, a corporal or whatever, and I thought, you know, I think I want to be an officer. ROTC is the way to go. Um, And that's made Mm -hmm. available in any state. Right. So there's incredible benefits to that type of a model. Because West Point can provide content and, let's say, quality assurances for the local ROTC model. The ROTC model vastly multiplies the leadership output for the Army, you know, quadruples, quintuples it, whatever. It also, in a sense, it's centralized because it's military, but it's also decentralized. What if something strategically happened to West Point, right? While we still got leadership academies all over the country. So there's an incredible robustness to it. And then here's the other thing. While it is prestigious to graduate from West Point, they don't treat officers coming out of ROTC as secondhand officers. A lieutenant is a lieutenant, right? right? A captain is a captain, right? And many people who've served in ROTC have grown up the ranks to become chief of staff, you know, or Secretary of Defense Colin Powell was a graduate of ROTC.
0: Yeah. Thoughts on so that? So your thoughts,
2: thoughts
1: on can, that? <clears throat> yeah, that's in, that's interesting, and I'm I've got a I will spend some time thinking on that as a model because it's not one that I have explicitly uh, thought of before. My uh, my initial my initial thought is um, is is positive. <clears throat> also, recognizing some of the some of the inherent challenges. Um. Uh, And you, you mentioned, uh, let's call it quality assurance. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be, that's going to be one thing. Um, uh, Another, another question that I would have is the uh, capacity of the local, whatever the local units are. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, A capacity of local to um, replicate the immersive experience that happens, and and maybe that's a part of the point is that it's not trying to replicate it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what are we losing? I think that would be the that would be the that would be one of my questions that I'd want to explore. Uh, another one that that we haven't talked about, and I know we're we're probably getting close to time here, but um, another one that we need to talk about at some point is how does the LCMS polity? Um, which is largely modeled after the American political system. How does LCMS polity come into play with all of this? Yep. Um, because it most certainly does.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, and our polity, as is true in American politics, our polity is designed... To or maybe "designed" is the wrong word, but it has the the effect of always uh, of always favoring incumbency by a long shot, and so it is. So our polity is tends to be very change adverse. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's both its strength and its that's weakness. Right. Um, and so, and so because our polity kind of centers things like. Um, certification for ministry into two institutions and and the placement process into one institution the council of presidents um that that structure does not allow itself for this dual track that you're talking about Mm -hmm. not as it stands no that's exactly right uh, and you know whether it whether it could or should are other questions
2: Yeah. But um, what we're but, hoping yeah, for is an in, interesting what we're hoping for is an opening up of the of the colloquy process.
1: Yeah. Short and term. that's and and that's going to be the question.
2: Yeah. Is As a short term. Yeah.
1: And I think that really the, the question that needs to be asked and we we talked about it a little bit, but we haven't talked about it a lot is what. Cause, cause this is the question that the church more broadly speaking, I think is going to want to know is what is, uh, what is, what are we gaining by, by the immersive experience? What are we gaining by the contextual experience and how do we, and how do we equate those mm-hmm. two? Um, and that, cause that really is the question. Yeah. In my in my mind now, as I as I'm talking to you guys and kind of hear this, what you're trying to answer, <laughs> that is, how do I create uh, 20 small, uh, small churches that kind of serve as satellites of the main where the leadership in these smaller churches are largely bivocational? That is a question that are that are. Structure is not designed to answer, right? <laughs> Which is why we're talking. Exactly, I'm guessing. Exactly, and it's going to require <laughs> yeah.
0: Todd a, a lot more conversation with folks who are at the highest level of leadership down to the grassroots. You know, I'm I'm just a local parish guy trying to be faithful in my context. Jack is is helping toward that end, and you're kind of Todd in your role, kind of a bridge because of your story as well as your role right now. And we're going to have to have you back on, Todd, because we barely scratched the surface on some of these some of these yeah. uh, conversations. <laughs> but this is, this fun, is a lot of fun. Yeah, we, we, are, yeah we are hoping to have many, many more of these conversations on lead time and just ask the question and then try to answer it with love and respect and build trust and build bridges of love and care within our small little spectrum. We are all very, very conservative. We love Jesus. We love his word. We want to go on mission to make him known, and we believe that the way we handle paradox, uh, the tension points of theology, is exactly what the world needs. So, hey, Todd, thank you for your time and for your leadership within uh, the local and wider church. And you are a blessing, buddy. And it's a it's a privilege to call you a friend. Hey, sharing is caring. Lead time listener, thanks for joining us today. Jackie did a great job, and we will be back next week with a brand new episode. Uh, peace, the Lord go with you. God bless. You've been listening to Lead Time, a podcast of the Unite Leadership Collective. The ULC consults and brings together cohorts of congregations to build the culture, systems, and structures of intentional discipleship multiplication. To go deeper with us, create a free login on uniteleadership.org for access to exclusive materials and resources. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for next week's episode.